There are moments in life where the lights turn on, where something happens, and from that moment forward, you see everything differently. It can happen as a result of a really good thing, like the birth of a child, or, or a terrible thing, like the loss of a job that you loved. But when it happens, all of a sudden, things become clearer for you. Your, your priorities shift. Uh, maybe your values realign or become more deeply entrenched. In, in those moments, it's common to make a promise to yourself. From this moment forward, I will do this, or I will value this, or I will live like this. There are moments in life where something happens and the lights turn on. But think about your own life. Have you had a couple of those moments out of good things or bad things where you saw things clearly from then on? Today we're making a big deal out of the rediscovery of the gospel, the, the, the Reformation. And, and there's a lot of ways to study it or think about it or celebrate it, but I think that the easiest and, and the most straightforward might be this. Uh, the Reformation is the moment where, uh, after a long period of darkness, the lights came back on for the church. And things were never the same. For centuries, the church was clouded with corruption and confusion and misunderstanding. And there was a view of Jesus that saw Jesus as this judge who was waiting to strike you dead. And there was this view of Christianity, of spirituality, where it was kind of this game you played with God, where you tried your best to live as a, as a good follower of Jesus, as the most morally pure person that you could, and then in the end, because you had faith in Jesus, God would show mercy and grace and kindness to you. But you first had to do your part to be, to be the best possible person that you could. And in the middle of this kind of corruption and confusion and misunderstanding about who Jesus was and what the life of faith actually was, there were, there were popes and pastors and princes who took advantage of that, who said to people who were uncertain about where they stood with God, who were afraid of eternal damnation, who said to them, well, if you just give us your power, if you just give us your money, then we will make sure that you're all good with God. And people quite literally bought into it. In fact, that's how St. Peter's Basilica in Rome was built. People out of fear of eternal judgment or of their relative being an eternal judgment, giving money to release themselves and others from purgatory. Like I said, corruption and confusion and misunderstanding. Around about 1500, um, there was a, a group of of young Christian scholars and church leaders who had a deep knowledge of the scriptures and a good understanding of Christian history up to that point. And they could sense that the church of Jesus was profoundly out of step with the message of Jesus. And so they started to talk about it and write about it. Uh, one of them, the, the most prominent of them, was a man named Martin Luther. He was a monk and a college professor. And he, he articulated all of his grievances against the Christian status quo at the time in a list of 95 theses or 95 arguments that he nailed to the door of the Wittenberg church. And, and Luther's goal was not to start a revolution. His goal was to start a very reflective and humble dialogue within the church to get the church to look at itself and look at what it was teaching and to, and to come back to the central message that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Well, a dialogue started all right. And, and Luther ended up 
fearing for his life that he might die. The world kept talking about the work that he and others were doing, and, and in relatively short order, lights started to come on throughout the known world, and a spiritual reforming, a reformation, a spiritual reckoning took place that, that is still reverberating today. At the center of that kind of defining moment in history was, was really, you could say, one verse and four words. We just heard that verse, but I want to read it to you again. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. This was the verse that, that really allowed the light bulb to come on for Luther, wrestling with what it is to be right with God. Listen to this, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The righteousness of God, a right standing with God, is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by what? Say it with me. Faith. And then you could summarize everything that was taught in the early days of the Reformation with these four words. We've already said them a bunch this morning. By grace, through faith. If you would, if you would just humor me and say those words after me. By grace, By grace. Through, faith. through faith. That's it. Now, you might think, well, that's, that's not much of a light bulb moment, but you and I have, have grown up in the 500 years since where, where this has largely sat at the center of Christian experience. And, and besides, you know from your own light bulb life-changing moments that often what you discover or what you return to is not a seismic truth, but, but an essential and simple one that you come home to. You go through something good or you go through something bad and all of a sudden it's clearer to you than ever that family, not work, is what matters most. You go through something good, something bad, and you realize, boy, you know, I, I have to prioritize my own health and well-being. You go through something good or something bad, you realize, I, I cannot compromise my core values for anybody. You go through something good, you go through something bad, you realize that there are certain things that I will not compromise for. These are not life-changing truths in the sense that they're new. They're life-changing truths in that they're foundational and they get cloudy, they get lost, and then you find them again. And you think, how did I lose it in the first place? That's what happened here. The church came home to a core truth that we're saved by grace through faith. The course message of Christianity really comes down to this. You need a right relationship with God. You need to be right with him, but you can't make yourself right with him. There's nothing that you can do to manufacture it or earn it. It's not as though you can go and perform and then get a bunch of tickets and turn them in at the end like you do at Dave and Buster's and be like, I'd like the salvation, please. That's not at all how it works. You need a right relationship with God, but you're incapable of manufacturing it on your own. You can't earn it. It has to be given and gifted to you. And what Jesus Christ has done is earned that right relationship with the Father and then gives it to you. It becomes your own in your moment of belief and baptism. It becomes your possession so that you are right with the Father, not by any effort of your own, but by Jesus' effort on your behalf. Amen. 
that the message of the Christian faith is not that you need to go do big things for God, but that God has done a big thing for you in Jesus Christ. It's not that you need to hand him any work or effort of your own, but that Jesus Christ has has done all the work and expelled all the effort for you, and then he hands it to you as a gift. That's grace. And, And that gift becomes yours through faith in Christ. Now, what is faith? Well, I'll tell you what faith is not. Faith is not a certain level of understanding. Faith is not a certain demonstrated obedience in the life that you live. Not that those two things aren't important. You know what the scriptures tell us faith is? Faith is a relationship of dependence upon someone or something greater and more capable than yourself. Faith is dependence upon the person and work of Jesus. Here's what faith is. You bring your empty hands to God. You bring your weakness and your mortality and your mistakes and your regrets. You bring all of your nothingness to God and you get all that he has to offer in return. Not because you deserve it, but because Jesus Christ has earned it for you. It is by grace through faith alone. Now, that rearticulation of that truth, that rediscovery of that truth, it, it quite literally changed the world. Don't believe me? Google it. How did the Protestant Reformation change the world? You'll be blown away. So many things. But we're not here to celebrate what the rediscovery of the gospel has done in the past. What we're here to do is to emphasize what it is still doing today and what it can do in your life, whether you're new to the Christian faith or you've been here for a long, long time. The fact that you're saved by grace through faith is still changing the world. It's changing your little world and my little world. You know how this changes lives, how it's changing your life? Here's one way. It is, it is giving you rest for your soul. Let's look again at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, this is so beautiful. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Uh, raise your hand if you work and you get really tired. Yeah, the rest of you are liars, by the way. <laughs> we all work and we're all tired. We're not just like physically tired, but like emotionally, spiritually exhausted, right? Jesus gets that. He's like, come to me, everybody who is done. Come to me, everyone who's done, and I will give you a very long to-do list that'll exasperate you further. Is that what he says? I'll give you five easy steps to make your life better. What does he say? I will give you rest. Take my expectations upon you and learn from me. And what you discover is that I am gentle and lowly in heart. I don't put more burden on you. When you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. Now, I don't know if you've ever dug this deep into your psyche before, but here's what I know about you and me. So much of what we do in our life is an effort to answer this question. Am I enough? Am I enough? Am I good? Am I worthy? A big driver for why I want to be the certain type of parent I want to be, why I want to climb the corporate ladder, why I want to crush it at the gym, why I want to be a little bit of an influencer online. A driver behind all of that is my desire to answer that question, am I good? Am I enough? With a resounding yes. 
And the pursuit of that leaves us anxious and angry and tired. The good news of Jesus is this. You can't be enough, whatever that is, on your own. And that's not meant to make you sad. It's meant to set you free. You cannot be enough on your own. You are not enough. You can't be. But you know who is? Jesus. And he has given all of his rightness, all of his, I'm going to invent a new word, all of his enoughness to you. And you get to hold it as your own. And now, even though you are weak and you are tired, when God the Father looks at you, he sees someone who is worthy of all of his love. He sees someone who belongs in his family. He sees someone who is, because Christ is enough, enough. That's what the Father sees. The hope of Christianity is that you might go through your life understanding that God does not want more from you, but that Jesus Christ has given all to you. He's given all to you. This rediscovery of the gospel is changing lives in that it gives us an opportunity to be even more compassionate people. The Christian faith tells us that not only are we incapable of saving ourselves, but that, um, but that we're pretty awful. It's free to admit that within the context of the Christian faith. Humanity is kind of the worst. If you don't believe me, I got more verses from Romans chapter 3 for you. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 10, says this. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they, that's us, all of us, have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are saved by grace through faith alone because we cannot save ourselves. We are too broken. We are too lost. We are too incapable. We are a mess. If you start to believe in the infinite goodness and capacity of humanity, just take a trip on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> or any airline, as a matter of fact. If you want to see just how rough it is in the human existence today, how low of an anthropology we actually believe in as Christians, just go flying. I was scrolling earlier this week, because I'm a pastor, I scroll. I was scrolling this week, and I came across a survey from vacationer.com. They surveyed 1,000 people who had recently flown, and they asked them about their own rude behavior on flights. Of the people surveyed, 36% admitted to taking their shoes and their socks off on a flight. How dare you? <laughs> Another 36% said that that if they had the opportunity or they were requested to move to a more uncomfortable seat to allow a family with small children to sit together, 36% of them said they would not move. 77% said it's rude to, to, to move your seat all the way back. But of those who said it's rude to move your seat all the way back, 31% said they do it anyway. <laughs> Humanity is the worst. But again, that's not meant to make you feel bad. 
It's meant to make you feel free, and it's meant to stir up compassion in you towards others. Because you know what that means? It means that every person that you don't like, everyone who frustrates you or angers you or hurts you or doesn't live like you or look like you or, or vote like you, they are a mess. Yes. They are the worst. Yes. But so are you. Grace is the great equalizer. It is the great equalizer. When the gospel was rediscovered, there was also a rediscovery of this invitation to say, as you go through life, every person I meet is a mess like me who needs grace and mercy from me. Everyone you meet needs what God has given to you. And if we grasp that, if we hold tight to that, that helps us to become the most compassionate, empathetic people on the planet. This truth is also changing lives, not just in that it gives us rest for our souls, not just in that it makes us empathetic people, but that it can help us make sense of struggle. Look, I don't know why bad things continue to happen, other than that we live in a broken world, why God allows what he allows. But I do know what God is up to when bad things happen. The rediscovery of this message that we're saved by grace through faith alone reminds us, it pulls us towards the truth that God is up to something in those weak and struggling and terrible moments. When was the last time you felt like you were at the end of your rope? When was the last time you, you, you felt while you're at work, I can't work one more day here. I can't work one more day with these people in this place. Or when was the last time you, you felt awash with grief and guilt over an important relationship that got ruined for something stupid that you did? Or you felt frustrated that you're never going to pull yourself out of some financial pit? Or you felt despair that despite surgeries and rehab and following all the rules that the doctors gave you, your health is not getting better? When was the last time you felt like you were deep in the pit of despair and struggle and frustration? Now, I don't know why we end up in those pits, but here's what I know, that God is at work in those moments. I know what he's doing. At the very least, I know he's up to this. In those moments, what he's doing is using those moments to make you more keenly aware of your weakness, of your brokenness, of your mortality, and ultimately of your deep need for him. He uses our struggles to awaken a deeper awareness of our need for the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ so that you might lean more deeply upon him because that's what faith is, utter and deep dependence upon Jesus. Now, speaking honestly, I know that some of you are sitting here today and you're like, have you been reading my text messages? Because when I talk about being in the depths or I talk about being at the end of your proverbial rope, some of you are like, that's me. That is 100% me. And like I said, I don't know why you're there other than this, that it is God's desire to grow you into a deeper trust in Jesus. I don't know why you're there other than the fact that, that perhaps what God wants to do is give you a light bulb moment of your own where 
where new values are articulated, new priorities emerge, and you make a commitment from this moment, this day forward, to live differently in light of the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe what he's up to in that moment of struggle and darkness and despair is to give you a little reformation of your own where you come home to what matters most. Because God would like nothing more in your life than for you to walk around with this refrain deep in your heart no matter what you face. It goes like this. I am not, but Christ is. I am not capable, but Christ is. I am not perfect, but Christ is. I am not eternal on my own, but Christ is. I am not faithful, but Christ is. I am not good, but Christ is. I am not worthy, but Christ is. And Christ is mine, and everything that he is, and he has earned, is my possession. I am not, but Christ is. And that is a refrain that changes your life. That's a light bulb if there ever was one. There are certain moments in life where the lights come on and everything is different. A good thing or a bad thing happens and then you see everything different from that moment forward. My hope and prayer for us as a church is that we would not only celebrate a giant light bulb moment that changed the world in the past, but that the truths that have been discovered that we hold to would continue to change your life and my life today. That you might walk through life knowing that there is rest for your soul, that compassion might flow through your hands and through your words, and that you might know that there is a bit of purpose in every single pain that you encounter in Jesus Christ. And that it might not only change you, but it might change your friends and your family too. Imagine a world where the people that matter the most to you, they come up to you and you know they're having a bad time, but they come up to you and they say, but I I feel like I've got this, I've got peace about it all, you know? Or imagine a world where the people that matter most to you, you can see them right now. You can see their faces. They become the most generous and compassionate and empathetic people you've ever met. Imagine a world where the people that matter the most to you, they go through something difficult and they realize, God is at work in this. And you can see that they're actually drawn deeper into into Jesus and in confidence in God's goodness through even their difficult moments. If that happens, that's a a better world. That's a good world, right? But it all starts. It all starts with you and me holding tight to these truths that changed the world and sharing them. Sharing the truth that you are loved, you are forgiven, You are chosen, you are worthy, you are right with the only one who matters right now by grace alone through faith alone. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close in prayer. And my friend Kingston is going to join us once again. You may not know this about Kingston, but Kingston and his family, of course, are members here at St. Mark. But Kingston Kingston is in a program that leads towards ordination. So he is a vicar, a pastoral intern as well.
And at the conclusion of his, his internship and uh, through his ordination process, he's going to be planting a ministry on behalf of St. Mark, reaching out to the Indian community here in Houston. And so, I, I, yeah, it's wonderful. We're excited about it. You know, one of the byproducts of the Reformation was that people, for the first time, had, had the, the, the worship service, the songs, and the scriptures in their own language. And that helped change the world. And so we figured that we would close the service by saying the Lord's Prayer, not just in English together, but, but while we say it in English, Kingston is going to say it in Tamil. And, and we will say these words of the Lord's Prayer together. So I invite you to bow your heads and open your hearts as we pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.